Liars is a multi-award winning, impossibly crafted line of non-alcoholic spirits. And after a long, long wait, they're finally ready to introduce their tequila variant. Tequila fans who want all the flavor without the alcohol or the hangover are in for a treat, with not one, but two varieties now available. The Agave Blanco Spirit and the Agave Reserva Spirit. You can use either to make classic cocktails such as the Margarita and the Paloma and impress all your friends with your marvelous mixology. Liars is available on Amazon, Bevmo, and at liars.com. That's L-Y-R-E-S.com. And you can visit liars.com forward slash sober curious to sign up for a special 15% discount code. You can also follow along on Instagram and find more recipes at Liars Spirit Co. This is the Sober Curious podcast, and I'm your host, Ruby Warrington. My guest today is Katie A. Olwatoyan, who is the founder of Sober Black Girls Club, a platform for black women and non-binary people who are sober, sober curious, or even just thinking about putting down the bottle. Katie was raised in a strict Muslim household, and alcohol was not part of her world growing up. But within hours of arriving at college, she had her first drink, and so began her career as a heavy binge drinker. She shares the specific solution that alcohol provided for her. It was a way to put down the high-achieving, perfectionist tendencies that she had developed as a kid to mask the impact of her abusive childhood. As well as hearing her personal story, I wanted to learn from Katie about the specific challenges of black women in sobriety. And we get into topics such as the myth of black superwoman, why AA tends to be so white, and why creating more inclusive sober spaces is not always the answer. This is my conversation with Katie A. Olwatoyan. Katie, welcome to the Sober Curious podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so why don't we just dive in? I read a bit about your story on your website, but I'd love to hear in some more detail from you about your own um, story with substance abuse, what led to you getting sober, and then perhaps you can kind of like go from explaining or describing that into how you came to set up Sober Black Girls Club. Right, yeah, sure. So um, I grew up basically in New York, New York City. Um, I did experience a lot of like physical and I guess you could say sexual like trauma as a child. Um, and that was just all really pushed into like the background, um, just like being a daughter of two African Muslim immigrants who came to America for a better life. You know, they had their own culture and their own way of like doing things. And since as I was a child, I was always like, um, you know, like therapy, especially like in the black community, therapy is now becoming a thing. We're taking our mental health seriously. But even like as a child, when I was like in first grade, basically any school I went to, I was always very close with the guidance counselor. I was just very, I, I always knew that just things weren't right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, to like escape uh, the, a lot of the trauma that I faced. I delved into like school, a lot of like um, athletic programs, gymnastics, just really taking, um, really just trying to be number one and trying to be like well-liked and loved in, in the social settings in school because home life wasn't, just, just wasn't really that great. Um, and at the time I thought it was normal, but growing up and now, you know, going through therapy and all that, I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> trauma yeah, um right, right so it was in so it was mainly in your home that you were experiencing 
these kind of like abusive traumatic circumstances was it in the widest was it in the wider city at large I mean New York's kind of a confronting like challenging place to be a kid I can imagine I grew up in London which is a very kind of big sprawling city was it the city in the city itself and the streets of the city that you're experiencing that or mainly in the home Mainly pretty much in the home. Mm. Um, yeah, pretty much basically in the home. And again, it's, it was just like a cultural thing of just like when people did stuff wrong, like you got hit. Um, and I've, I've never like, I've never felt comfortable with anyone touching me in any type of way. I've always been very defiant. And um, like growing up, my parents, like now they like they were wrong for that. But growing up, like they thought it was normal. Like that's how they were raised. But mm-hmm. I never liked... Um, and the sexual, the sexual assault, like I would, you know, the sexual assault, when I think back about like, you know, being molested as a kid, that didn't happen in the home, but it happened um, amongst people who I considered family. Right. So, and so it was still like a home setting thing, but it wasn't like in my home. Right. Um, but yeah, so I've always just like grew up pretty much, um, family life was hard and I sought relief from outside. I sought relief from the outside. And generally when I tell my story, I, I, I kind of have like blocked that part out of like, you know what? No, there was a lot of traumatic stuff that I went through as a kid at home. Um, but I, I kind of just have blocked that out. Right. But recently, um, through like my own healing and my own healing and growth, I'm like, okay, no, that's, that is a part of my story. It is a part of my story that has to be talked about. Mm-hmm. So I think this is like the first time I'm talking about that, um, in public, wow. but yeah, that did happen. Um, and during, so growing up, you know, just gymnastics, you know, honorable student government, just really keeping myself busy, um and a number of different activities in school out of school just always trying to be you know I guess like the the number one number one perfect excel and I pretty much have that whole attitude uh, all the way until like I went to law school I think in 2014 I believe yeah 2014 Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so so very so very high achieving as a way perhaps to kind of like counteract what maybe was some shame that you felt around what you'd experienced or low self-esteem Yes. Um, so I, I, even growing up, I've never really, I know like low self-esteem is a part of my story. You probably have read or heard that somewhere, but I didn't even realize that was a thing until like law, until I, um, until I graduated from law school, mm-hmm. because again, you know, I was well liked growing up by my peers. I excelled in everything I did. And, um, that gave me esteem, you know, that gave me a lot of esteem that made me feel good. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much had that whole attitude since like, so elementary school, middle school, um, went to college. It was the same thing. It was so great. And growing up, I didn't have any interactions with alcohol. My parents didn't drink and no one drank. It was, it just wasn't a thing that we thought about that we talked about because it just wasn't us. Like, you know, I went to Quran school and, um, Monday through Friday, you know, I grew up very religious and right. even though I still had done as a Muslim, I'm not like extremely, I'm not as religious and quote unquote as naive as I was back right. in the day. Um, but um, so alcohol just wasn't a thing. Like I didn't think about it. And I remember, you know, uh, my first day, my parents dropping me off um, in college, upstate New York. And I remember like my dad leaving. And like he dropped, he dropped me off, said goodbyes, blah, blah, blah. And then like two seconds later, like I got a knock on my door and it was basically like, um, if I remember it was like a fat boy, he was knocking on my door. And that was basically like the beginning of like my drinking career, just like wow. 
the first taste of alcohol and just the relief. It wasn't even the taste. Like, who cares about the taste? It was just the relief of, like, it was just an escape. And I, I feel like, thinking back about it, I feel like my childhood was difficult. And just to just that 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 moment to escape and not think about anything not think about responsibilities not think about like just anything it was just amazing so um i remember so throughout college again just i i drank i drank a lot i drank a lot and looking back it was horrible but that's how all college students drink we just right. we all drink right. a lot like, yeah. <laughs> like it's it's crazy and and like even with my junior year um i was getting ready to go to law school studying for the outside so i was working at a hotel i had the morning shift at 5 30 um you know i was an ra i was on the student government council i was doing all this stuff but i still wow. managed to drink and drink well and like still was able to like get up and do what i had to, had to do like again i started drinking really late I, later than most i I started and that's and that's what makes Obaco's club um uh special in ways that like I used to think I was the only one but uh, most black kids start drinking at a later time and I can go into that later but we do start drinking at a later time um in life then compared to like our white counterparts um so you know, yeah, and then I went to law school, which is another environment where folks just drink. Like, it was, like that's what we do in law, like, in law school. Like, we drank. Um, I worked in a number of law firms, even as a law student, where partners got trashed and no one, like, ever thought, like, it's just, it just wasn't something that, like, I thought was, well, drinking in itself, alcohol was not something that I thought was, like, a big deal, but I never even considered um, the possibility or the probability of, like, addiction. Like, I didn't even know what that word, like, I clearly I know I knew what that word meant in theory, but I did not know what that word meant in practice. I thought that, like, um, it had to, you had to run in your family, it had to be something that, like, you were born with. Like, I just never thought addiction could ever, 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 ever happen to me, um, happened to me uh yeah right well there's a few things there's thank you so much for for going going fully into your story like this there's a few things sure. that are just kind of jumping out at me that I'd really like to kind of just ask deeper questions on so when you describe that sense of relief with having your first drink like within it sounds like hours of arriving um, see, at college like how old were you at that college. point yeah, I didn't go yeah. to right. Okay. I mean, I could even as you were describing it, I could almost feel that sense of relief in my body, you know. Can you just go a bit more deeply into that moment of like what what was the alcohol and what did it feel like to actually, like you said, finally put down mm -hmm. and again as a high achieving kind of perfectionist cope, coping person. I can absolutely relate to just that feeling of like, oh, finally, I don't have to be like on top of everything. Finally, I don't have to be the one who's like got everything under control. Can you describe a bit more? Like, yeah, how, I think, I mean, it was like, college, what relief so was as you. we were all drinking cheap stuff, like no one was spending money on like real alcohol. And, um, and, and, you know, it was a, it was a yeah. frat. I remember yeah. it was like a frat guy and his friend. So I'm pretty sure the alcohol was very cheap. Um, um, but again, it was just like this, honestly the words that i that come to mind is just really escape like the word is escaping um relaxation just like just like not being here like it was just it was just a relief it was just even now when i think about like um yeah. my experiences with alcohol and how 
when I became addicted and in addiction, how like that feeling was no, no longer, you know, at a certain point drinking was no longer an escape for me. It was like actually just painful. Like, I didn't even know what I was doing. I'm like, okay, my body is hurting. This is extremely painful. Um, but in the beginning it was just so relaxing. It was just, it was so relaxing not to be present and, um, yeah, just not to be present and not to feel anything, not to feel, um, again, like growing up, just really rebelling, rebelling against my <clears throat> parents, just always conscious of like things happening in the world, um, very conscious of racism, of colorism, of fat phobia. And this was me as a kid in like early, mid 90s and 2000s. And at that time, like especially in our community, my community, the Black community, people really weren't talking about these things, but I was always very conscious of it. I was always um, very conscious, especially growing up and um, and like being like the only Black person in my school, like um, going to a mosque that was ran full strictly by Pakistan people. Um, there was a lot of racism there too. There was just, you know, it was just Throwing in my face, but no one was ever doing anything about it. So, so, um, in terms, of, and again, it's like sometimes, like just going through my childhood, I, I really have to peel because I can, you know, at first I'm just like, no, it was average childhood. I went to private school, I did this and did that, blah, 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 blah. And then I remember, like, oh my gosh, no, I used to get my ass kicked like all the time. Um, uh, that's how my parents like thought disciplining yeah. was a thing and that affected me because I uh, again as a kid I always knew I didn't like to be touched and I, I knew like I didn't like to, to be hit um and I just it's something that I never thought was right oh, at yeah. all and um yes it sounds like you're a very sensitive conscious being even from very young like even the way you were describing gravitating towards the guidance counselors in your school perhaps you intuitively felt like here is somewhere i can actually talk about what i'm feeling here is somewhere i can talk about like the emotional impact of these injustices that i'm yeah. witnessing but that yeah. nobody's and talking I, and about I, and and nobody's it's, it's, it's like it's interesting and it's it's like a perfect moment of talking about it now with you ruby because it's like for a while i've kind of like just blocked like oh i don't know how like addiction i i kind of used to attribute my addiction to after to law school and my life after law school but looking back and really going to depth i can see how the, the many circumstances and experiences of my life and even as a child contributed to it like hello i was talking to my mom the other day i was like hello like i knew all my guidance counselors that wasn't a thing like you know like people don't go to school making friends with their guidance counselors like that was my thing i always knew where they were they would call me for like different like seg like segments like and i had to like remind her about certain things and she like was shocked but then she finally acknowledged that these things happen i'm like yeah honestly when you think about addiction it's, uh, it's not addiction you know from for a lot of people um comes a grows through trauma and i've been trauma a long time like yes i was clothed yes i was housed yes i was fed yes i went to school um but children people not only children adults we all have different needs and we all we all have needs and sometimes it's it's more than just doing what we think it's we should be doing like just like the housing and food yeah that's all important but there's other things that like contribute to a person's trauma and um yeah so it's been really interesting just like and, and it's, it's it's been interesting and it's, and it's like a coincidence not a coincidence mm -hmm. but it's like I'm talking you're like the first person I'm actually going to depth 
into depth um, about these things with because in the past I have talked about like my my story and again high functional and and trying to be number one and a like you know just a type personality and I think that's so important but I think it's also really important that people who 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 have interest in my story who find inspiration in my story also knows that it's like I just think sometimes it's, it's too easy just to be like yeah I was just high functional like yeah I was high functional for a reason um you know because yeah. Yeah. Well, it, like I was describing, yeah, it's almost yeah. like that perfectionism is its own sort of addiction because you, you're using, you're getting the external validation to make up for like where, where there's a yeah. lack of self-esteem or self-worth or validation from your parents, for example. I'm also wondering if you've considered, do you think that perhaps if you hadn't have grown up in such a strict religious setting you know what's so crazy um that's like my saying you know what's so crazy is it's not even crazy but um no you know what's so crazy like my friend me and my high school (laughs) friend told us the other day we didn't they didn't drink in high school like we just they were i just i didn't have i wasn't a part of the crowd that like was interested in drinking i was more a part of the crowd that like we wanted to like go to college we wanted to get married um lol like really in high school thinking about like just thinking about like again all the you know the big hitting the big moments that we were taught that we need to hit like degrees and and having like a spouse and doing that so we weren't really even into um into drinking I will say this that during in high school there was a girl who you know she would come to school with like it's it's going back and like really looking at these things that we did have this girl who used to come to school and she would always come to school with like a bottle of vodka and like um a water bottle and looking back and you know the person has a problem now with drinking that's but just looking back it's just like we just thought it was like okay some people are are alcoholics and and, and addicts and that's their problem like you know like it never like really like yeah yeah, like i side eye like what the hell's wrong with you like why do you need a drink but it it never occurred to me like oh maybe this person like has a problem maybe we should be trying to get this person help maybe the a b and c it was just like well some people are alcoholics and addicts and that's them and that's just not where my life yeah and in a way there's something defective about them so like just like let's turn the other cheek Mm -hmm. and and kind of like do our own thing and distance ourselves yeah rather than like here's somebody who's got who's externalizing like a problem that's going something that's going on for them you mentioned and I think I remember reading somewhere once that law is actually one of the high like one of the um, professions that has like a really high level of substance abuse. And I think that's probably something to do with just the high pressure, probably quite competitive nature of that industry. But it strikes me, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times that you were a high, you became a high functioning addict, um, that you were able to kind of like drink a lot, but then still also look very kind of successful from the outside. And I'm wondering in that sort of an environment where oftentimes where there's a lot of heavy drinking going on, problematic drinking can be disguised for mm-hmm. quite a long time because it looks like normal drinking. Was there a, what was the point when you realized, oh, actually this is no longer, I'm no longer the one in control of this. Like I actually maybe need to look at this because it can go quite, it can go quite a long way if everyone around you is drinking the same amount that you are and you're still, yeah. you know, getting the grades, getting well, the job, like well, all the things. Well, um, I'm like laughing because it's funny, but it's not funny. When I tell you there were so many instances that had happened that like okay. if, if the people around me and this includes doctors, um, maybe knew more about addiction, maybe knew more about problem drinking, maybe cared more. Um, cause I don't really, I don't, I don't 
think I was an addiction like my whole time. Like, um, I don't think like I, for me, my addiction started in 2017. Mm. That's when I realized that's when I couldn't stop drinking. That's when I wanted to stop and I couldn't stop. In the previous right. years, like I would be able to go through Ramadan without drinking. I would be able to go long periods, but it wasn't like purposefully. It was just because, you know, other stuff was either happening in my life that I didn't need or feel the need to like go drinking every day. Like, um, so it was, and a lot of my drinking um, before 2017 was really a lot of social drinking. So it wasn't like drinking alone. It wasn't drinking by myself, but they were moments and periods of time where I can literally say, okay, Katie, I'm going to take a break and actually take a break. It wasn't a problem. I wasn't, I wasn't like breaking out and like, and like cleaning and like, it wasn't, it was nothing. Right. So, but I will say that before 2017, I think it was 2016, I had an internship or 2015, it was 2015. It was my second year in law school. I had an internship in Binghamton. And again, the, um, the culture is drinking. So every day after we would go drink, we would do that. We would do this, but the culture is just drinking. And this is what we did. Um, and I remember it was Ramadan. Yeah. And during Ramadan, it's always been like my practice not to drink during Ramadan. So when I started drinking in college, every Ramadan, I just wouldn't drink for that month. I would definitely just not drink for that month. And I remember it was like the second day of Ramadan and I, I got this nasty itch like this. It was the most crazy. It was the craziest itch I've ever felt. I, I it was crazy. I went to doctors. I went to so many places saying, what is this? You know, we did allergy tests. N- nothing. No one could tell me what it was i found out it was a like physical, a physical itch, itch, like, like a, a burning sensation well, i found out years later my body i was my, wow. i was having dt my body was going into withdrawals so my body was like withdrawing because i had it was like the second day of ramadan so no alcohol and it was a summer internship so i probably drink every day that that you know, since I was in that internship again at work, we would do happy hours. It wasn't like, it wasn't me drinking at home. It was literally what we, what we did. Um, and I found out years later, like when I realized I was an addiction um, in 2017, like, oh my gosh, it's the same feeling I had in 2015. And then my doctor was like, yeah, you're going through DTs. You're probably withdrawing. And I'm thinking like, holy fuck, in 2015, excuse me, I don't know. Curse. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a New Yorker and I'm a lawyer, so I curse a lot. It's fine. Um, but I was thinking that, like, in 2015, <laughs> if someone just said you're drinking too much or someone like said anything about alcohol, I feel like I would have had a, a fighting chance because at that time I wasn't addicted. I wasn't, well, clearly I was physically addicted. I wasn't mentally addicted. At that mm-hmm. time, I, was, I went through Ramadan without drinking. I was able to, like, mm-hmm. I wasn't like concerned. I wasn't thinking about alcohol. I didn't need it. Like, like it, it was, it wasn't something that I needed at that time. But my body was way ahead of them, what my mind, like, way ahead of what my mind was doing there was another incident right. that after college actually before i went to yeah. law school i did americorps which i don't know if you, you are you familiar with americorps it's like no not actually you guys have to have something like that's like when you go into like low income or low countries or neighborhoods and you do service work it's like service work for a year yeah, community right. for, yeah. for a year. So I did that. It's called AmeriCorps. Um, yeah. And 
And um, that summer, actually, I went to I went back to my alma mater to go visit my ex-boyfriend at that time who was was in school. He was a frat guy. So so I graduated. He was there. I went to go visit for the weekend. It was a crazy weekend. A lot of stuff was going. It was like homecoming weekend. Drake nonstop, you know, good time, blah, blah, blah. I came back to where I was working and serving for AmeriCorps and um, I fainted. I fainted. And I had no idea what the fuck was going on. Excuse my language. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had no idea what was going on. Um, really I went to the ER. And looking back, again, my the doctor said, what did you do this weekend? And I said, oh, I went I went upstate and I, and I had a good time, blah, blah, blah. He's all right, take it easy in the drinking. And that was it. Basically, my my liver was like pushing out all the alcohol and basically that contributed, contributed to me to fainting. But dude, seriously? You just take wow. no real warning, no wow. education, no nothing. It's still it still just amazes me how um because drinking is so normalized and even heavy drinking is so normalized that medical professionals don't necessarily highlight it as an issue. It's just crazy to me. It's like every time I read an article about like improve mm. your sleep or like lower your stress levels or like reduce your risk of heart disease. There'll be one line at the end. That's like, maybe reduce your drinking to no more than two glasses of wine a night. And it's just like, really, really, are we still not addressing that it, this is a it's, it's, major it's crazy. issue? It's, yeah. it's so, it's so crazy. And um, it's, it's so crazy. It's, it's like, that was another opportunity where someone, cause again, until I started Sober Blackers Club, I didn't even think I knew anyone who was in addiction, who was in addiction. No, especially being black, especially the black, especially right. our community, don't talk about stuff. So when I created Sober Blackers Club, I had people coming to me from like childhood, like Katie, you know, my mom. I'm like your mom, doctor, like what? Like, and then and now I know it's like no, addiction is very common in our community. We just hide it so well. We we just hide it, and and it doesn't look like you know. When you, especially when you call in colleges, you see p- kids acting crazy. Usually, you know, white kids. To be honest, drinking and doing all these wild stuff, we don't we and it's not something that normally typically we do. Um, so we don't we don't process it. We don't see it the same. And I think that that's why, um, and that's why representation is so 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 important. Because I know, like when I first started with the Black Girls Club. Folks were like, well, addiction is the same for everyone. It doesn't look like that. If you're looking at the addiction, sobriety, so exactly. Oh, I love you, Pat. Um, exactly. Like and his name is Larry. <laughs> it's Larry. <laughs> and um, like Larry. addiction is addiction can can affect anyone and everyone. However, the way it looks, the way it looks, the way we come across it, the way we approach it, the way our interactions are totally different. Are totally different. Even when I went to rehab, I was the only black person in that rehab that I went to. I was the only one there for like the first time. And that's okay. That's not to shame, but that's just to show that like it looks different. I don't know many black people who go to rehab more than one time. 
if they even feel like they can go, even if they feel safe to go, even if their family is willing to support them. Um, you know, I watch these shows and I see like, you know, moms and, and families gathering and even on, on a line, I see like they're willing to support their kids. A lot of black children do not go, do not receive that type of help or assistance. Even me, me a person who, who, who is intelligent, smart, my parents could not help me. They they couldn't fathom how a person like me can end up in this position. And I feel like a lot of it is just because they don't want to accept the shame and guilt on their part, which, you know, it's probably, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's not wrong. Like it's, it's there for a reason. Um, but like, they can't even, they couldn't even help me. And that's where I had to create my, uh, my own community for help because I wasn't even getting it from home and my, my parents they work in the medical field but they couldn't see or they couldn't see addiction right. in me they couldn't they couldn't comprehend that a person like me their daughter who's who's done so many great things can end up in, in this position so just to answer um i know just go back and answer like your original question i uh i feel like there were so many there was two main opportunities where i feel like if someone said especially a professional a doctor said listen you're drinking too much you need to figure this out or this is you know a b and c i feel like i would have had i don't maybe i wouldn't have fell into addiction i feel like i would have had had time and and you know at that point i was still mentally i don't want to say i don't want to say i'm done with mentally strong but i was i was i was still like my head was still in the game and you know yeah no have you heard the term early exeter this is a term that I've heard. It comes up in the kind of sober, curious or gray area drinking circles. The idea that like once an addiction takes hold, it gets mm -hmm. consistently worse because we build up a resistance in our system. We need more, et cetera, et cetera. And then particularly if a traumatic life event comes on at any point in that trajectory, then you can have an even faster fall into a much more serious addiction. When I say mm -hmm. a serious addiction, I mean one that's much harder to put down. So an early exeter speaks to kind of early intervention, whether you yourself have a flash of insight, it's like, hey, this actually isn't going anywhere good. I'm going to stop now. Or you maybe get some assistance from outside. There's this idea that like, if you're, if there's enough awareness around what's happening, then you can kind of get out before it gets so bad that you then maybe need to go to rehab and you maybe need to go to rehab more than one time, you know? So I would love to hear about um, what was it then that led to you going, this is it. I'm quitting. I need to get sober. And then like what led to the setting up of sober black girls club, like following. Yeah. Well, at first I, I love that term early exit. Cause I just feel like sometimes, well, not sometimes I feel like majority of like, um, the recovery space, they just want to make addiction so black and white. And it's like, no, I do believe some people can figure, can, you know, can figure out their relationship with alcohol early enough to to not be an addiction to um you know moderate their drinking to lower it am i that person no i'll admit not that that part has sink and that ship has sailed like sink is whatever whatever that term is that's what it has done but do i believe <laughs> mm -hmm. that some folks can actually <laughs> control their drinking if they catch it early enough yes like what like i don't think you just wake up one day in addiction i think it's it's a process it's, it's a it's a journey it's like it again it's within time that you're building you're building this um you know disturbing relationship with, with any substance so I, i'm actually i'm happy that that term exists but i and i totally here for it um 
All right. So it was 2017. I was studying for the bar and um, it was just, it was, <laughs> 2017 was when every day just went downhill. Uh, studying for the bar exam. I was like really nervous. Um, again, being, you know, I grew up and even in law school being that token black girl. And at that time I thought it was, it was great um, through my healing and, and through my journey and healing and growth. I realized I had a lot to do with like my low self-esteem and how I saw myself. Um, and I can go into that, but 2017, I was, um, you know, I was, I think I had like the highest, I was person of color with the high GPA. Long story short, I was scared shitless to fail the bar. I did not want to be one of those persons, especially being mm. one of the only black people in the school to fail the bar. So um, I totally isolated myself. Um, I would be up in the morning drinking coffee, drinking a lot of caffeine, taking a lot of caffeinated pills. And then at night I would just um, fall asleep by drinking like two, three bottles of wine. Like that's, that's, that was my regimen um, for like three months studying for wow. the bar. Um, during that summer, me and my boyfriend of like four or five years, we broke up and I didn't think that was going to be like an issue for me. Cause I, I, I wanted to break up. Like I wanted this to be, I was like, this is going to be a new chapter in my life. I'm about to be an attorney, blah, blah, blah. But that did have an effect on me. I kind of underestimated the fact that you can be over someone or you cannot like them. But like if someone has had a, a, a position in your life for like five, four years, maybe while you're studying in the bar is not the best the best time to, to break up with them. Maybe you should do it after the bar. Um, so I was completely isolated, um, feeling really depressed about, you know, the, the breakup. Um, I took the bar, I left. I was coming home to like, you know, I got my a great luxury apartment. I had gotten, um, you know, I had my, my Jeep, you know, I had a, I had a, a job, I, you know, but I was so miserable deep down inside. Down inside, I was miserable. And I started to self-medicate with drinking, with alcohol. Um, and that was, again, 2017, 2018. It was the summer, it was the Halloween of 2018 that So Black Rose Club was, was created. In regards to, I was at a, um, a party, I was at a Halloween party, and basically I had gotten drunk, you know, gotten to fight with my friends, um, gotten to fight with my friends, you know, gotten to fight with this guy I was dating. And then I just had to conclude that, like, alcohol is like when I'm drinking I'm not a nice person I'm not doing great things like the, it came to a point where like alcohol was like chemically mess, messing with my brain like where I was lashing out being mean being violent being rude I, it wasn't like again I, I, I kind of told you there was like a progression to like when I was in college that first time I had alcohol the escaping the fantasy like you know relaxation and then in 2018 it really just became this like I don't know, like this thing that just made me so tense and so violent. And then towards, and, and then towards like about 2020, that's when it really was making me physically ill. Like I, there was just, it, you know, it just had to like stop. But, um, so yeah, it was the Halloween party of 2018. And I was like, okay, I need to figure this out. I need to figure out like, why is alcohol making me feel, do these things? Why is it making me feel this type of way? And originally when I tried to get help at first, just trying to understand like addiction and trying to understand what I was going through. Um, Cause again, I didn't know anything about addiction. It was just like thrown in my face that like wrong feeling or all these terms 
that I did not believe at all. <laughs> like, yeah. Was this, so did you go to AA? That's kind of like a first port of call because it's yeah, free and it's everywhere. So was that your first? Yes, that's like the only, to that's find the some only thing I knew of. Like it was just, someone was telling, someone had, my therapist who, yeah. you know, I only saw her one time because she was horrible too, told me to go to AA and I went, I was just like, are you like, are you kidding me? I'm a lot of stuff. Weak is not one of them. And, and I don't even like to call myself strong because I, I, I don't feel resilient, but I'm not weak either. Like, you know, I'm, I'm complicated. Yeah. Right. Just, so the whole thing about being powerless, powerless over alcohol was just an immediate. And, and also I'm thinking you'll come from a Muslim background. So this is a very Christian and also, about Christian God and everything. So yeah, that, and also that was, was very, white. Also. it was very, um, you know, I was the only black person there. But yeah, the theme and um, <laughs> the theme. And there. Yeah, there were no AA meetings in my neighborhood or my neck. So the city I live in is very segregated. I shouldn't say segregated, but segregated more or less. Um, and the fact that like there weren't AA meetings in like the so p- people of color neighborhoods or basically the North Shore. All the meetings on the South Shore just. It just none of the stuff made any sense to me. And um wow. therapy, when I finally met a therapist that I did mm-hmm. like, I learned a number of things. I learned one that I do have low self-esteem, or I did have low self-esteem in regards that I basically um I basically perceived myself and like my degrees and my things and this and that, right? And now here I was, I had graduated. Now I'm just working nine to six. And this is unlike the rest of my entire life. My entire life, I've always just been busy, always been working towards something, you know, just a, a dance competition. There was just, it was so much movement. And now that my life, I felt like my life had just shrunk to like this nine to six job. And I felt like worthless. I wasn't like, there was nothing. I felt like there was nothing, you know, I I had nothing to be working towards or working for. Now a person with good coping mechanisms would have just joined a club somewhere else or would have done like, yeah. Or just enjoyed like taking a bit of I literally felt depressed. I felt worthless. And I just started self-medicating. I started doing drugs, drinking. um, And it was ruining my relationships. You know, I first year attorney, I think I lost like two jobs, which is, first of all, the fact that a first year attorney can even find two jobs is a miracle. The fact that I even I lost those both jobs in one year is even more crazy. It's like, who does that? Like usually like as an attorney, you're supposed to make, you know, get to get established somewhere, get experience somewhere. Um, and I finally realized that like, I remember my last job, I didn't get fired from. I was like, yeah, you have a problem. Um, seek help <laughs> and um even when I did seek help it was right. it was I'll be very honest with you I remember um the first thing I did do was go to that AA meeting I was like absolutely not and then um I kind of like pushed you know sobriety back in the back of my head and then I went to rehab and when I went to rehab I stayed there and I left drinking like literally the day I, I left I went Back drinking I literally spent the whole three weeks in that rehab with right. professionals telling me that I probably didn't have a problem um couldn't see past my law degree could and and that's what I'm saying like social like race has a lot to do with it because in order for you to see me as a person in addiction I have to be a bum I, I can't have a law degree I can't have good skin I can't right. have nice things it's like you cannot see the problem in me because of your own social and racial bias and that's a problem and um 
when I created Super Black Girls Club, yes. I, the amount of girls who I thought I was the only one, there's so many girls who have my story, who, 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 who the same exact, just trying to find relief and doing like being told that if you do A, B, and C, you'll be well off in life. Like if, you know, just go to school, don't commit crimes, don't do this and that. And then we do all that and we're still left empty and feeling horrible and feeling like, what, like, what is this? Like this is, this can't be life. I'm pausing the episode here to tell you about Three Spirit, which is a brilliant botanical booze-free alternative for any time you're not drinking. Designed by a team of bartenders and plant scientists, Three Spirit uses a special blend of functional active ingredients that also give you just a little bit of a buzz. Currently, and very fitting for dry January, I am loving the Nightcap variety, which is designed to relax you and help prepare you for sleep. It tastes rich and woodsy and a little bit sweet. And I have mine just poured over ice. And it's also great, I discovered, with a teeny splash of oat milk. The two other blends are Livener, an energizing pick-me-up, and Social Elixir, which boosts your mood and helps you to loosen up. These are also great neat or else mixed with ginger beer or tonic. Now I could go on and list all of the active ingredients here, but they might not make that much sense to you. Suffice to say that all have been used medicinally and in ritual and ceremony by different cultures for centuries. You can order directly at threespiritdrinks.com, plus get 15% off your online order with the code RUBY. Now back to the episode. Well, thank you so much for elucidating that. It made me think one of my questions was like, you know, I've heard about this myth of the black superwoman, this idea that like almost because of my race, I have to kind of like be strong and I have to overachieve and I have to like show the world that nothing is going to bring me down. And it sounds to me like that whole kind of very kind of sort of strong, empowered external image that you're working so hard to present is actually a barrier to you, first of all, to you saying that you have a problem, but then anyone else in the outside world who you're asked, you're finally allowing yourself to be vulnerable and ask for help, which obviously is going against so much of that conditioning around, I have to be strong. I have to prove the world that I'm going to be the one who doesn't like, who is no longer oppressed. Then that's actually a barrier to anyone outside actually being able to saying to you, yeah, you do need help. Like there's something going on here. So yeah, I really wanted to ask you about like when you founded Sober Black Girls Club, it sounds like it was coming from a place of personal need. Like I need a community where I can actually find myself, you know, and find my story and and meet other people who have had my story so we can kind of help each other. But can you speak a bit more to that desire in you and what it was like actually beginning to find that community um, and some of the sort of the issues that you were hearing from, from black women specifically in sobriety, like some things that, yeah, that, that are very specific to, to your path. Yeah. So like one thing I will say about me, like one of my many gifts is like my ability to, to talk. Like, it doesn't mean that people are going to always like, listen, it's not, it doesn't mean that people are going to take me seriously. But like I said, like growing up, I was like, I always talk to my guys constantly about what what was going on. You know, I've I've always felt that maybe this is my cancer son. I've always I have always validated like my feelings have always been valid. I may not have gone about things like 
proper way. But one of the things like blowing up, I've always realized that my feelings are true feelings and they're very valid. And, and, and I might not have the coping mechanisms or like the tactics and skills that I need to address it to really find the solution, but my feelings are valid. So when, um, so after that AA meeting, that was a disaster. Um, and then the Halloween party, I created Sober Black Club. And at that time it was just a blog. It was just like, Again, I didn't know much about addiction. I didn't know much about anything. I thought that like getting sober was going to be like, oh, you just, you know, you don't want to drink anymore. That's it. And basically the, I just created a blog for me to document like day one sobriety. Um, right. And as when I create Sober Blackos Club, you can see like different like laps and like blog submissions because I tell people all the time, I was literally figuring out sobriety when I created. It wasn't a program. It wasn't like, it was something for myself. And, and that's just the truth. It was for me. Yeah. It was for yeah. me. And if, and if people or anyone in the community, you know, felt like they were going through something similar, they can join me on, on my path. But it was really for myself. Um, uh, so I think in 2019, that's when I you know, had some time in sobriety. Um, my official sober date is actually February 2nd, 2020. But between 2018 and 2020, I was having times in, in sobriety, but also relapses. And that just goes to also like show you about like, I always tell people, I, it's a joke, but it really isn't a joke. Like I didn't even have the time to really be in addiction. Like, I, I just want to be, be frank. Like, like literally it's like 2017, drinking 2018, there's a problem um, and reaching out to family friends, but they too not knowing what to do or anything like that. Um, I, I figured and I decided I had to get myself help in like 2018. And it was really like when you go into rooms and it's not a comparison, but it's also to show that like, as a black woman, I can't even be an addiction. Like I just, I can't even, I can't even, be, and I don't identify as an addict or alcoholic, but I can't even be in addiction correctly. Like I can't even like go through the motions and, and there was no room for that. Like me doing that would me be homeless or dead on the street. I had no room, no space and no community for me to even be in, in, in addiction. So um, 2019, that's when I think I, you know, joined the Instagram crowd or the Instagram family. And at that time, again, sobriety, like mental health was just becoming a thing in the black community where we were talking about it openly because we didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about therapy. We didn't talk about any of that stuff. And the fact that I was now bringing in sobriety, like people were not happy. People were like, what the fuck? Like they, they just had a lot of questions. I had followers who would never speak to me like in the comments. It was always in messages. It was still like a lot of shame and like people just wanted to be discreet. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I don't know, I just, I kind of didn't understand that. I kind of just, did, I was like, this is weird. Um, but whatever, like, I don't know. I didn't understand it, but I knew that like, I wasn't alone. And I knew that like, there were other black girls who were going through this, going through the same thing. And then when the pandemic hit, that's when like, we just got a, a wait, like emails, DMs, just a wave of like people and women um, basically saying that like their drinking has skyrocketed 
um, during the, the pandemic. And when you talk to a lot of these women, they all, they, most of them acknowledge that they had a drinking problem before, but because they were busy being a mom in school and this and that, they really didn't have time to like focus, focus on it. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's like you said, like during, it's during those moments of like calm, like for me, it was like, now my life isn't crazy. I'm, I'm doing, I'm just working and that's it. I'm going home and then that's it. I increased my drinking. It's like really my drinking skyrocketed the less busy I got. And it was the same thing for a lot of these women in, in, in the program. Um, so it was really like, it was giving me flashbacks. I was like, oh my gosh, this is just reminding me of 2017. But the truth is a lot of black women can't find value in themselves if they're not doing something, if they're not constantly producing, if they're not constantly taking care of people, if they're not constantly like, you know, just, just being on the go. And it, and the feeling that if I'm not doing something, I'm not worth anything. I'm worthless. Right. It, that's, yeah, right. It's, it's a very hard feeling um, to, to deal with. So since the pandemic, um, we have really like, I honestly, the pandemic was an awful thing. Um, the, I don't want to say one of the good things, but we got community out of it like so well you were there I mean it was a good thing that you were there during the pandemic because also what you're saying about it's in those moments when there is a calm there's not so much constant busyness that also underlying trauma whether it's like from your own life or whether it's intergenerational trauma and then you back layer that across the whole kind of um the George Floyd sort of protests and the Black Lives Matter upright the amount of like layers and layers ancestors and ancestors of trauma that must have been surfacing among black communities during last summer must have just been so incredibly intense because like you say there's not necessarily this constant busyness and this constant distractions of the outside world where you can kind of keep running from that trauma so the fact that you were there the fact that you established your platform when you did seems like not that it's a good thing that all of this stuff has happened but it was good timing that you were there to be able to offer support and to offer to have a place where people could actually come and even begin to process and stuff yeah for sure and i'm honestly like just the growth of the club of like now we have like four you know four weekly meetings we have a mentorship wow. program we have like a medical fund where and I always tell people like some I, I know some people get threatened um and I mean I don't really care like that's that's a you problem but some people like I don't want some black club to be a problem I, I mean to be a a, a program it per se I have I, I don't think that sobriety is like black or white I think majority of the people in our group, they did go through AA 12 step programs because that those were the that was the only choice they felt like they had. And for for me, it's me, it's my goal. And it's for me, it's important that like I introduce our members to the many different options that they have. You don't have to do one thing. And and you don't have to do you don't you don't have to do anything. Some people literally go cold turkey I don't think there's anything wrong with that I don't think you need to spend your 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 time in a program I don't think you need to come to our meetings if you feel like you don't need it but the goal is to really um to give the members options and to to, uh, inform them on the many programs 12-step rehabs outpatients things that they can do that it's not just a black and white thing um, and that's why when people like just even the George Floyd, I remember I decided to go to law school after Trayvon Martin was um, right. killed. And, you know, he was the boy, the young boy who was killed in Florida for wearing a hoodie. And that 
again, I've always been aware. I've always been very, you know, <laughs> active in how I Conscious. feel about racial, yeah. um, the racial uh, uh, atmosphere in this country around the world. I've been very vocal about that. Um, but that the fact that like a kid has gotten killed because of someone's racism just really pushed me over the edge. And then I decided to go to law school just to end up not even working in that sector because again, um, I was being glorified and people told me, Katie, you know, do this, you'll make a lot of money, you'll do this. And, and I got sucked into that. So um, it's, it's, when people say like race has nothing to do with addiction, it's just like, I just really like, do you have rocks for a brain? It has a lot to do with how we heal. It has so much. The fact that like before George Floyd, folks were literally in meetings, not talking about police brutality because it affected certain groups of people. Like, how can you not acknowledge that that has something to do with our trauma? How, like how, mm-hmm. and, and, and it just goes back to, to saying that like, you don't see us as people, as beings with feelings and thoughts, and it's just being strong, but it's, no, these things are damaging. And for for a lot of us, to be honest, including myself, I'm realizing this, I just watched a documentary and I'm like, wow, it kind of desensitized a lot of stuff too. I kind of just block things out and, and I can acknowledge something, see something so horrific, I'm just, but I, I won't take it in. I kind of just like, look, honestly out of mind and um and police brutality is one of those things where I don't even want to read about anything anymore because and it's not because I'm not interested because it, it's hurt it, it's hurtful yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, especially as you don't have alcohol as a numbing substance to to remove you from it you're feeling it all now so yeah, yeah. And, and just just the fact that like people couldn't even talk about this in meetings and um it's just it's it's so crazy to me, but it was like one of the early reasons why and I used to get a lot of hate from it. Um, when I say even, I say we come a far away from um, our members and also from the freaking trolls and the haters, but I, I just thought it was the most racist thing ever to say that mm. speaking about color or speaking about things of a political issue, like who does that serve besides yourself and your own guilt and your own shame? And um, that's one of the you know, one of the main reasons why I feel like places like Civil Blackness Club is are, is necessary. And and I say that like we need more because the truth is, I know a lot of folks look at to me to cater to many different sectors of like the community, but I really, I can't. It's, it's, it's like, I, I can't meet everyone's needs. So I can, yeah. I'm Black, right? And I have, I have a lot of joy in that. Um, but I'm also a woman and a lot of my, a lot of my trauma, a lot of my experiences have come from me being a, a woman, a black woman, but, but a woman nonetheless. A lot of it yeah. has come from, um, you know, me being queer, me being finally being able to be like, okay, I'm going to be a football lesbian. That's that's a whole different other now box that I have to unravel that I'm still unraveling with today and dealing with today. There's just so many sectors. And and again, because I did create So Buckles Club with me in mind, we, it just grew. Um, yeah. As people felt like they could relate to me, then we grew together. And now it's our group. But really the group is going to cater to Black women, non-binary people, and to those who identify as queer. Because 
I'm not a therapist. These are your, yeah. these are your intersections. So you can speak to all of these specific groups. Yes. But I, you know, and I get DMs all the time. Can you start one for men? No, I cannot. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I can't start one for men. And it's not because I don't want to, because again, I'm learning that I need rest. I'm learning that I'm not oh, the yeah. person who has to save everyone. I'm not the person who has to do 10 million things at one time. So mm-hmm. I, so Black Club, love it i just can't wait to see like the evolution of more groups even when you think about like i know i'm rambling and i'll stop in a minute but even when you think about like the native americans like it's just i i just i tear all the time like when i used to visit reservations as a kid for like summer camp and just hearing and knowing about like the the issues that they uh, you know that they experience with addiction um which is like it's it's not a surprise all that trauma it's like what what divine or individual help are they getting like you know what like they what specific tailored help where people really understand the very specific issues yeah it's very interesting you mentioned that i was actually looking at rates of addiction kind of racially in this country and native american indigenous people have the by far highest rates of addiction it's really like yeah and what shocking what help are they getting and the help that the people think that they need is to be told that they have to sit in a basement with coffee and doing these steps. No, that's not going to work for everyone. And it's not going to work for them either. Like what, why don't you, <laughs> I'm sorry. This. I'm... So here's a question for you. So here's a question. This is one of my questions. Cause I kind of, I hear calls for both more inclusive spaces so more inclusive and more acknowledging, more acknowledging of people's different identities, different intersections of identity and, and the, the issues therein, and also more kind of identity specific spaces. Is it a case of like, we need both of these things? Or do you think that one is more important than the other? Um, I definitely think the latter is more important than the former. I think that right. inclusivity at this stage really Inclusivity is really mostly for the benefit of, of people, who, of white people. It's for right. one, I think a lot of it is for them to feel included, that they're not feeling left out. And then two, for them to get an understanding. And, I, and, and I'll say that, I'll say this, I'll say this. Inclusivity is so important, but it can, it, 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 it can only work once the group gets through their trauma and figure it out without the gaze of white people, without the gaze of, oh, am I offending this person? Am I doing this and doing that? Like, we can get to inclusivity where we can all get together and talk about these things. But first, I have to understand what I'm going through. And I don't want to be under pressure that I might be offending you or, or say something wrong to hurt, to, like, for, for your own feelings or you get offended. So I think that, like, I think that, um, groups like like black women, like um, indigenous folks, like they need spaces to iron things out. The majority, like the book that we read in our group is called Sisters of the Yam, Black Women in Self-Recovery by Bell Hooks. And it has been a life savior. Like the book wow. has changed my life in a way that I can't even really describe. It has um, and, and the book is, has only really one chapter about addiction, um, but the book in, in, in total is like 12 chapters of the different facets of how Black women have been neglected. So like getting in tune with nature, thinking like, thinking, I used to think camping and all that stuff was white people stuff. I never like couldn't identify with it, um, but it's not true. Our ancestors were always in nature, but 
our image as black people has been more city guns and this and that. Well, even the word urban yeah. is used to describe black communities. I mean, yes. yeah. Yeah. And that's all conditioning. So I, I'm not against inclusivity and I think that's important, but before we get there, we need to figure out what is it that we're going through. We need to restore the faith back in us, like in our groups in our Thursday and Friday groups. So the Tuesday group is for queer people of color, but the Thursday and Friday groups um, are for specifically black women. And when I tell you like, a, you know, women who are drinking first time, drinking 25, 26, one woman 35 it's like and the statistics will show that we do drink later however the consequences that we face are incomparable to the consequences that white women of our same ages who are drinking way earlier than us um face um and it's it's and it's for a reason yeah a lot of race plays in that but also a lot of like trauma plays in that where we're like coming later in age figuring out like wow Maybe this isn't, like, I'm still not happy. I'm 36, all this stuff is happening. I did everything everyone said I should do. And it doesn't only have to be, like, lawyers and doctors. I mean, like, the women in our groups, you know, mothers who have, like, four or five kids doing everything they have to do to single-handedly raise them, you know, trying to work them way up in, like, the, like, in jobs at McDonald's and, like, and in the dollar store. So it's not, it's not, just like a professional woman, but I'm saying that for the most, for the majority of us, we all found worth in other things. We all felt like the best part of ourselves were other people and other things. Yeah. And that's something that we have to understand. Why? How did we, how did we get here? Like, you know, and a lot of it is understanding you know, what our parents went through, what they were dealt with, what they, the equipments that they had to, like, you know, so that stuff is like, we need to hash that out and we need to talk about it. So again, I think both are important, but I think, again, at this point and like where we are in terms of like the racial, social environment of this country, I think it's more important that there are spaces where um, particular demographics can get together and talk. And then when all that things are, all those things are hashed out, then when um, I feel like, okay, I'm kind of rambling, but I will say one thing. It's like, you know, the whole inclusivity thing. Um, I know I had to stop doing talks. I used to get asked all the time, can you please do a talk on like inclusivity on and like the recovery spaces? And I'm just like, I'm going to say this. Nothing I say is, is, is new. Like nothing I say is something mind blowing. I don't say any, everything that I'm saying are things that my ancestors have said. They wrote books about, they, they did presentations about, but it's the fact that a lot of white people don't want to take the time to read and get the knowledge. It's like, you'd rather have me come and talk and then and give you the kind of cliff notes. Yes, and the cliff notes. I don't, you don't need me to give this type of talk. They're books. They're Read Sisters of the Yam, Bell Hooks, Andre Lord. Um, and that's something in the Black community too that I've, I've realized. I've realized like coming into the Bell Hooks and coming into like a lot of pieces by James Baldwin and things, I realized again, you know, this country has a thing with queers and the Black community definitely has, has also their own issues with queer people because here are these amazing writers, people, who have gave, given us a foundation, a roadmap on how to live happier, joyful lives. And why am I just finding out about this book? Why don't I know this? Why are you why? not being told about this in high school? Cool. Yes. Why are you, why are you 
churches are not reading these books. What is the reason? And then we're still talking about, well, I don't know why this is going on. This is going on. This is going on. We have, there are books. There are books. There are books about why this is going on and how we can, you know, overcome these challenges. But when you don't want to read or you just want to be spoon fed, changes are not going to happen. It can't happen that way. Thank you. I hear your frustration. And I, I think it's the way you explained the need for kind of specific groups for specific groups of individuals to work out specific kind of traumas and process specific issues is so important. I think the same applies to white people and hopefully more white people are now talking amongst ourselves about our own internalized racism, et cetera, et cetera. But again, this is not like overnight kind of flick a switch kind of stuff. This is like ongoing hard deep work that I think people are engaged in. So I'd love to hear um, what is in your own like sober black girl toolkit? Like what has really worked for you? Like AA didn't work for you. It sounds like your path has been very self-directed. It sounds like you got some great, you found a great therapist, which is probably really a big part of it. But I would love just to hear kind of from you, like your, how does your, how does your life look now? Like day to day, like what works for you? Uh, yeah, thanks. Actually, honestly, that's like a great, a great question. I think one of my main problems with like traditional resources were like the structure. And I realized that I didn't need structure. I realized that that's just, it wasn't my personality type um, to, to be doing certain things that certain when I'm told at certain times and just to, you know, I, I do, do sobriety. I realized three things. One, um, I, my life feels better, is better when I work into tune with like what my body and what I need. And I say this knowing that a lot of people can't do this. A lot of people, you know, they need to have jobs and they need to to take care of like families. And 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 I totally understand that. There's sometimes I only have two dollars in my in, in my account, and I have a law degree. However, I realized that like. I, I remember I went like six months without drinking and then I finally went back into the legal field that same day I, I drank. And, and I don't want to blame it on the job. It wasn't on the job. I just wasn't happy. I wasn't, this is not something yeah. I, w- I want to do. Um, so now what my life looks like, honestly, is in the morning, <laughs> breathing. Um, I'm into tarot. Um, I do a lot of tarot. I do a lot of like self-reflection and journaling. And then I get straight to SBGC work. Um, right now we are a nonprofit and I'm working to get us to the um, 503C1 or 1C status, whatever that status is called. Um, so I can one, continue to like serve the people of our group, but then also get a salary from doing all the work yeah. that, that yeah. I am doing. Um, so I can like live and, and have food on my table. Um, so I'll be very honest. Like sometimes I do feel embarrassed. I'm like, okay, I'm 30. Um, it's not like I can't work. It's not like I, I don't have degree. I have, like, I have everything I need to live a quote unquote successful life, but that does not make me happy. So I'm starting over and getting more in tune with myself, working on, um, working to get the organization where it needs to be so again you know I run like we have four weekly meetings the queer meetings on Tuesday the family caretakers meeting on Wednesday and then Thursday and Friday um for black women and non-binary people run those meetings we have our the blog the newsletter 
um, you know, certain projects. One of the things that, again, I've taken very deep. I've, I, it's, I, I won't ramble because I know we're above time, but I want to say that I've learned so much. Um, I've always been a great researcher. Researching has always been my thing, but I've learned so much in terms of like the history, again, that we weren't told that um, Black people have with addiction. Like reading articles and journals from like um, enslaved Africans, people, people who were enslaved in the South and detailing their experiences with addiction, knowing that, um, you know, really about the Tempest movements and, and, the, and the work that Black leaders had in the Tempest movement and prohibition movement, even like researching, finding out there was a time where Black people couldn't even join white people in like, they weren't called AA meetings, but like, meet, I don't know what they were called at that time, but meetings of like, for Tempest, Tempest meeting, they weren't invited and they had to create their own space um so i've been finding a lot of joy in like researching um and just decimating that information because i think it's so important to know when you know we think that like oh there's this misconception that like oh addiction is it's a white people's person thing and it's this and that no it's not we just don't know about our our history like because we're not taught about this in school. We're not taught about this when we learn about the history of traditional 12-step programs. See, they, like certain things are always left out to mm-hmm. their benefit, but our detriment. So it's, it is important that I like, you know, highlight and really, you know, shine light on, on, on this information to, to my members, to people who, who follow the group. So I spent a lot of time researching um about like addiction and and you know just addiction history how we get here you know the many steps that people can take to overcome it you know doing posts and newsletters and blogs of that um we also have like our medical funds where folks would apply to excuse me if they want to go to a rehab or outpatient but don't have like the funds to um, go. We do a lot of fundraising for that. Yeah. And those, so I had a horrible experience. So one of the things is like, I, if we can raise, like, if we have to pay like out of court expenses, I mean, out of pocket expenses, someone to go to California and ride horses, mm. like we're going to do that because I just feel like I'm just so against, and I know I probably shouldn't say against totally, but I'm just not really here for state. Well, I just think, I just think this country needs it needs better. to be improved. Yeah. Yeah. Massively. Yeah. It's, yeah, it needs to be better. So yeah, that's basically what I spend like a lot of my time doing. Like now I'm interviewing with you um, at seven. We have our queer meeting at eight. We're going to do like a workshop on, um, we're doing a workshop on dealing with grief during the holidays um, while in sobriety. Um, Cause it fulfills me, it fulfills me. I have to do yeah. what, if I'm going to stay sober. I have to do what brings me joy. And what brings me joy is community, is working with other people. Um, so people always say, thank you, Katie, for creating. No, thank you. Like, you don't understand how this community helps me. Like, it gives me purpose. It's like, what else would I be doing? I'd probably still be drinking, like going in and out of jobs. It reminds me of what you were saying, like your drinking really spiraled when you, find, when you finally got the kind of like regular stable job. Because it's, it, struck, it strikes me, hearing what you're saying now, that actually finding meaning and purpose is such an important part of your sobriety. And that actually your drinking at that, your heavy drinking at that point was almost a signal that was like, hey, this is not what you're here to do with your life. Like, it's actually over here, you know? <laughs> and what you're describing 
about all of this research that you're doing into the history and all of these dots that you're kind of joining. I personally think that's a hugely important part of the process of recovery, because what you're actually, if you think about it, you're recovering the history of black people's addiction in this country, right? And actually when you're able to, as you're doing for yourself and providing for your members, when you're able to very clearly look back and join the dots, this led to this, led to this, led to this, and here I am today. Only then can you really start to kind of create a new story going forward until you can actually see how I got here and really understand it and really feel it in your bones. It's really hard to start Mm -hmm. acting and, and asking for something different in the future. Right. So I think what you're describing is a really important, yeah, just for people who are listening, like even just thinking back into like really starting to connect the dots, which is what we do in therapy a lot of the time as well. Like my own drinking story, how did I get to where I am and why when I understand that why, then I can start, mm. yeah, giving, asking for something different for myself and giving myself something different, demanding something different for myself going forward. And like, Ruby, you, you honestly hit the nail on the head. Like, I tell people, do you think I want to talk about racism? Do you think I want to talk about sexism? Do you think I want to talk about fat phobia all the time? I don't want to talk about this. It does not make me happy. It actually makes me sad. However, um, one we cannot ignore these topics when they're still occurring in today's world. Like we need to figure out how we can, uh, I cannot end racism, but I need to figure out how can I control, live a life where racism isn't controlling me? Is it making me want to drink white supremacy? Is it making sexism, you know, in in the household? Is it making me want to drink cultural barriers? So it's like, it's so important that we talk about these things because then we we can figure out what we have to do to get through it and for the next generation doesn't have to come and deal with this and you know figure out oh what should I be doing or you know making the same mistakes that we did because a lot of times um even in our meetings I'll tell you this our meetings range from women from like 16 to like 70 like there's just a bunch of different women all um different ages because there's only one sober black girls club again i cannot wait until we expand because i i do feel like i you know i do feel like some people need, probably need um you know a community that can cater to them like you know we're all intersectional so like yeah we're all black women mm-hmm. non-binary people but then some of us are like muslim some of us are like older women some of us like you know women who can't have kids like everyone needs support and again, I always, like I said earlier, I cannot meet everyone's need and level of support that people do need. Maybe just to finish up here, I'd love to hear, mm-hmm. um, thinking about kind of writing a different story going forward. You've spoken a bit about the need for these different kind of specific intersectional spaces for people. What would you like to see more of from the sober community and the sober curious community kind of going forward? What would you, what would be your, your wish these spaces this space in general kind of going forward so two things i think mainly well not only two things but the my top yeah two the main one <laughs> i think that we need the, the recovery community needs to like there needs to be more prevention services like we shouldn't wait until folks are deep in addiction like no i feel like um, even some of Lacos Club, we're opening and offering services to colleges. And it's not to say don't drink. We're not anti-alcohol. If I didn't get into addiction, I probably would be drinking a mojito right now. That's just not where I'm at in life. And it's like, it shouldn't take me, it's, it shouldn't take me, um, you know, 28 with this life-changing event for me to like, 
understand the dangers of, of abuse, drinking abuse or alcohol abuse, excuse me, and over drinking mm-hmm. and, and misusing substances. Like it shouldn't have t- taken that. I should have known about a lot of, I should have known about the dangers of drinking um, and not just saying don't drink, like really understand the, the dangers of like why? Yeah. yeah. Of, of like breast cancer and all that. I should have known that. And like, a long time ago in high school or college so I think that one the recovery community needs to um stop like we need to stop waiting until folks get into addiction even like for so black girls club we're open and our members are not all uh, they're not all in abstinence some people do moderation some folks um are just curious and who am I like at the end of the day there's so many people dying from addiction who is anyone to tell anyone what to do when when you know there, there there are solutions that are clearly just not working for everyone because people are still dying from overdoses um from you know diseases related to overconsumption of alcohol so i don't think that there's room for me to say well if you don't do this you're you're not a part of the club it's like no if 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 this is going to work for you and this is going to give you some pull along your life in some amount away some amount of years then so be it i'm going to support you the best way i can because like you say, there are so many rules that like you have to, there are so many rules around what recovery is or what proper sobriety is. And I'm totally with you. This is more of a harm reduction approach. It's kind of like whatever works, I'm going to meet you wherever you're at and whatever your need is right now. Yeah. And, and, and again, and I, I hate talking about 12-step programs. I really do. I know people like, hey, no, I don't. A lot of our members, most of our members are part of 12-step. It's not that I hate it. But it's like, can we be realistic? You have to look at the numbers and amount of people who actually succeed in that. It's it's less than fifty percent. So the fact that like we just think that like if you know if you don't do all that, like no, this is not the solution for many people. It's at, like less than fifty percent of people are successful in twelve step programs. That is very telling. Um, I know, like for Super Blackers Club, I've had people like just be so shocked that like we allow people who still drink in our meetings. I mean, they're not drinking in the meetings, but what do you want me to say? Right. What do you want me to do? Kick like yeah. what reason or or what reason or what good would that bring? And, you know, it's not like they're boosting about their consumption. It's not that they're talking about it in a way that's like romanticizing it. Clearly the person knows that they need help. And this is and they're doing what they this can. This is where they're at right now. So I think that we yeah. just need to be more open. Like it's just so crazy how people don't think that folks need um deserve support if they're not told in total abstinence. Like it's just ridiculous. It's a ridiculous way of thinking. Um, so that's one thing. Two, I'm always gonna say I just feel like um recovery space, it, it just needs it needs a community for like I think like black men, um, men in general, black men. In particular, um, I think that it's. I can't even believe I'm saying this because I, I really don't like. And I'm joking. I, I'm not really joking. I don't really like to give too many props to men, but here yeah, I'm gonna go say it. I just think that like um, the stigma that they get in terms of like mental health and sobriety, it it can be a lot. You know, it can be de- defeating, and and sometimes society thinks well men should be able to drink and especially like as black men they you should be able to handle your liquor you should be able to do this and i think that they need a um jesus christ i'm advocating for men no i'm joking uh, <laughs> this, this is funny okay so like i think and i know and i'm just joking i joke about this all the time you listeners don't kill me i'm just joking but um i do think they need a space they do need this they need need space and I, and I joke a lot but i also yeah. it's because like a lot of harm that you know i've personally faced a lot of our members have faced have been at the hands of men 
um, and that's common of like just gender gender based violence. Um, so I'm I'm joking in terms of like yeah they need support. Um, I'll just stop there. <laughs> they need well it goes back to what you were saying about. <laughs> There needs to be spaces for men to find a healthy outlet for the kind of anger or rather the kind of trauma that are driving that socially acceptable, quote unquote, anger and violence that is celebrated and glamorized in our society and which results in so much harm against women, non-binary people, femmes, et cetera. So I think you're absolutely, I I completely get what you're saying. And I also, and and it's not apologizing or it's not, it's not saying that, you know, men need love too, even the bad ones. But there is, there's a kernel of truth in there, yeah. but it's also not like taking away from the fact that, you know, these these crimes and acts of violence shouldn't be happening. Oh my gosh. And you're in New York City. It's like, I had to stop, oh, I had to stop watching the news. Just like, all that, it just makes no sense. Raping people in the, in the subway, hitting people, robbing. I'm just like, what is going on? It's just like every, killing spouses. It's just like, you just, I just can't open- I can't open an, like social media or a news outlet without either seeing something that's racially motivated or gender motivated. It's like disgusting. It's so it disgusting. So, um, but yeah, you explained that beautifully. Thank you for that. I, I think they do need a space. Um, I'm not going to be one to create it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but good for you for putting it out there. Like shout out to anybody who's listening, who knows somebody who's kind of like, you know, um, who may be, who may be interested in starting something like what you have done like you yeah. modeled so beautifully not only um how beneficial it can be to the community but also f- to you and to your sobriety and to to bringing meaning and purpose to your life so thank you so so much for sharing your story in the depth that you did today i really appreciate you coming on here i loved listening to you i loved hearing about what you're creating and um yeah fully supporting in here for you and sober black girls club in whatever way i can be Thanks, Ruby. Honestly, thank you. Um, this is like one of the, I stopped doing interviews because I'm just getting so sick of them. But um, this is one I've, I've done. This is the first one I've done in a while, and I'm really appreciative. I feel like I've been able to move past just like the the top layer of like my story and really, you know, just uncover some truth. So I'm I'm happy I was able to share that and just feel like you're 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 welcoming and loving vibes and your cute cat, Larry. Uh, so yeah thank you I'm glad you made an appearance (laughs) thank you again Katie that was my conversation with Katie from Sober Black Girls Club and I encourage you to check out her work as well as the book she mentioned Sisters of the Yam by Bell Hooks I'll include a link to that in the show notes Thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with a friend and leave a review wherever you are listening as it just helps more people find the series. As always, this podcast features original music and is edited by alloaudio.com. That's A-L-O-E audio.com. 